Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Hello, Ben. How are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, how about you? I'm doing pretty well. So uh, that uh, getting ready to uh, go eat Panera not long after uh, we do this. So a healthy and relatively delicious. Not as healthy as, you know, the delicious greasy cheeseburger lunch, but uh, pretty good and doesn't kill me as much, which is helpful around the holidays to not kill you. That's true. A lot of high calorie snacks and um, lots of those snacks. So yeah. yeah. So, but you know, it is really weird that some of these traditions of eating so much and just a lot of the weirdness around the holidays. Um, that uh, I listen to a comedian sometimes, Jim Gaffigan. He talks just about the silly and bizarre traditions that we have, and uh, you know that reminds me of the church in a lot of ways. Uh, to some people who have never been to a Christian church, our churches might seem kind of silly and bizarre traditions. Do you think? Uh, definitely. Especially to someone who's a complete outsider. Now, if you were an alien from outer space and you visited a local church at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, what would you think, Ben? Uh, I guess it depends on the church. Um but uh, I probably wouldn't know what's going on, though. I mean, it, kind of regardless of the church, I wouldn't know what's going on. Yeah, that, uh, I think... Unless uh, I've been, you know, spying on the planet. But. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it would definitely see it as really odd, uh, unlike anything else that probably would be in my home world, I would assume. Uh, in some ways, maybe I would have thought it's kind of like a concert mix with uh, college class, in some ways, for the average church. A service uh, it would definitely be a unique experience and i i think apart from maybe god the god of this world <laughs> doing something in my heart i wouldn't be as excited about it now how would you feel about yeah. a church if you were a nine-year-old uh boy or girl who goes every week uh with their, without their parents explaining what the church is <laughs> that's a good analogy i think i would be um in a similar position and i think maybe i'd catch the drift of some of it um if i didn't understand something maybe i would guess or just supply the information based on other experiences or just assume i knew something but um i would be at a disadvantage yeah i think i would find it pretty boring if i didn't know what this thing is and my parents took me along as a nine-year-old uh, i think uh I think I might observe that the best parts of church, you know, like the upbeat music are just kind of worse versions of other things, of other better <laughs> music. <laughs> they got to tap into our Christian subculture stuff that we've talked about already. Um, so I think that will probably yeah, I, I heard of a church. I heard of a church here uh, locally who had uh, Buddy the Elf show up at church. Um, I mean, that was kind of bridging to, you know, Christmas time and what people know understand you know he was taking pictures with people i mean that's that's yeah. an attempt see with that kind of stuff i don't that's what i don't get even if i was a kid in that age range like 
why why go to church to see an off-brand Buddy the Elf when I could literally stay at home at any moment of the day and go on like Netflix and watch Buddy the Elf? Well, that's a good question, but now what is the purpose of the local church, Ben? Well, that's a big question, and um, honestly, one that's been debated quite a bit. Um, I would, from what I see in Scripture, um, the church exists to glorify and worship God, to make disciples, to love one another, um, and to corporately represent God and his character to the world. That's really good. I think that's a really good answer, and I don't know that I have a ton to add to that. Uh, You know, one thing I will say, I really like Nine Marks as a healthy church. A resource mm-hmm. and uh, one of the articles that Jonathan Lehman, who's I think the general editor uh, of Nine Marks, has written, he uh, wrote an article where he said that a local church is a group of Christians uh, that uh, a regular gathering, a congregation-wide exercise of affirmation and oversight, and the purpose of officially representing Christ and his rule on earth. They gather in his name and they use preaching and ordinances for these purposes. And that's kind of what he defines a church based upon. And I think that's a wise and good uh, defin- a good way to understand the church. Mm, yeah. Now, um, the with that all kind of said, can we, can't we just have a private Jesus time and see a movie with Christian friends every once in a while? Maybe even a Christian like movie. Elf. Yeah, Elf, or we <laughs> right. see God's Not Dead 9. <laughs> God's Not Deader. Um, I guess if you want to obey Jesus, then no, you can't. Um, I mean, Jesus commands us, and, and the rest of the New Testament, which is the word of Jesus, uh, breathed out by his spirit, um, there's a whole lot of one another teaching that you simply can't fulfill Um by yourself, and or just with your Christian friends, um, the the church is not just a group of Christians who happen to get together in a room um, somewhere on a given time. So, yeah, I mean, Jesus uh, is the head of his church, and he's given us specific instructions about how we're to follow him together. That's good. That's uh, yeah. I think there's unfortunately a mentality sometimes that. We are saved to be a uh, kind of an isolated individual Christians, that it's my own private faith with Jesus. Uh, but I think actually Jesus has saved us to be uh, people, his people, his nation, his priesthood, uh, rather than just kind of individuals. Uh, and I think in light of that, one of the key ways that we do that clearly from Scripture is to attending local church worship services. Uh, Hebrews 10, uh, we often quote just verse 25, but 24, I think, enlightens it. It says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So I think this shows us, the Bible actually says, the main way that we spur one another on towards love and good deeds is actually through attending the worship service, which just seems bizarre, but it's true. Uh, so I think fundamentally, we need the worship service because we need each other. Uh, other Christians need us, and we need other Christians. We need to preach word as well. 
Uh, but I also think, you know, the Holy Spirit, he works in so many ways, but we don't stress enough that the Holy Spirit, and I think throughout Scripture, uniquely works on the ordinary means of grace, which the ordinary means of grace are the ordinary acts of the Christian life, including going to the worship, going to church, including hearing the word preached by Holy Spirit-led preacher, including uh, taking the Lord's Supper, things like that. Oh, that's really good, yeah. Now, do you think most children or even youth really understand the purpose and function of the church? I'm thinking I can guess your answer to this. Uh, I'm going to say no, um, but really, I think a lot of their parents don't either, uh, or just adults generally. And I think we've talked about this on here before, but um, we've got a, a class called the Basics class here for kids that are asking questions a lot about what it means to be a Christian or have outright professed faith. And um, I'll want, we talk a lot about the church and how it fits into um, what it means to be a Christian and growing and things like that. Um, and I'll always ask them, what is the, a church or what is the church? And I think every kid that I've asked so far will, you know, think of a and explain it in terms of a building um, and not um, as the, the people, the assembly. So, yeah. That's, yeah, I think that's the observation probably rings true across America. I think I would definitely agree with you that I think even those who do continue in church, uh, which many, many will after they graduate high school and things like that, just understand it's something that they're supposed to do. They don't really know what church is, a lot of young adults, but they just know this is something that they're supposed to do. And I guess they think Jesus is supported supporting that. Uh, but they don't really understand the essence of the church and the purpose of it. Yeah, I think a lot. I think a lot sort of view it as a religious drive-through. You come, you get the religious goods and services, the sermon, the music, the, the feeling, whatever. Even talking to people, um, and then when you're done, you you drive on through. Um, and, and so that's not quite what the New Testament paints for us. Yeah, and I think you know that mentality. It sadly even comes from pastors. I actually knew a pastor uh, that believed that the model for the local church should be the McDonald's drive-through. Unfortunately, and so I think it's not a surprise when people have that mentality. Uh, the you know studies wow. show increasing rates of young people think they can have their Jesus without going to church. Why do you think that's the case? I think some of it is the you know American Western rugged individualism um that's the context for probably the majority of our listeners though we got people who don't live here and i think some of it's bad teaching or just the lack of teaching about the church um i think a lot of our application that we hear in sermons and in bible studies and things like that youth talks um kids can be it's often or even usually just in terms of the individual. And I think that's not wrong to, to make individual application or even a lot of it to be individual application. But if people aren't, I guess, led to see, to connect the dots that you know this applies to the whole church and just thinking like, oh, this New Testament letter was not just written to an individual Christian, at least in most cases. Mm -hmm. um, it was written to the church at, Rome or, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, some of it, though, that kind of tied to that could be from topical preaching. 
that can, it doesn't have to, but it can lose view of that context. Um, and then the application is limited to the individual or just towards family or your, your work or, again, very good things to, to apply the scripture to, um, but not seeing it um, that we're, we're have a life together and not we're just sort of Christians who are in the same room. Yeah, I really want to echo that. I think you're so right on. You know, there's a large church in the city I'm from uh, that uh, when they redesigned and built a new church building, they uh, wanted to kind of have an area where uh, families could have really a low-key church experience. So they built uh, like these booths uh, like at a pizza place, almost like you'd have at a Pizza Hut, uh, circular booths. Uh, and they had like, I think, three TVs and a uh, on a column uh, surrounding so you could see the worship service. And you could just sit in the booth by your family uh, in kind of like a large uh, open area. Uh, and uh, you just do your church with your family. Basically, it was just watching church on TV, but at the church location. Uh, and uh, this kind of thing, uh, this is an extreme example, uh, but I think this church did this because they failed to recognize the way in which we've made church a bunch of people to get uh, worshiping Jesus by themselves together uh, rather than a bunch of people called together. You know what I mean? So it's even church, I think local church worship services often we gear as an individualized worship experience, but just ha we happen to all get it together at the same time. And why is it a surprise then when we make that what the church is about when we shame things uh, such as sometimes church greeting times even that can be helpful but not required uh, and uh, just emphasize that individuality it's not a surprise that somebody eventually realizes hey I can do this thing on my iPad at home rather than coming in and driving to a building when it's icy on the roads well and, and the rise of you know like internet church stuff um, not just like live streaming a service, but like actually the, the intent is to make like a internet congregation. Yeah. I mean, there's a very large internet church, uh, that will do internet baptisms, uh, which is nuts. And, uh, so, and, you know, and to isolate that, I mean, basically people are baptizing themselves while they, while they Skype in with a pastor. <laughs> it's not biblical. <laughs> no, I now, how can the local church teach young people about the church in a robust but understandable way? I like that robust. Um, well, you mentioned this earlier, but but God was always about creating a people, not just a person or individuals. I mean, with, with Adam, he saw that it was not good for the man to be alone, and then he told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Uh, and so – and you see that throughout then – God made, you know, from Abraham, I'm going to, to make a people from you, and they're going to bless all the peoples, all the families of the, the earth. Um, and then, you know, moving, he makes his kingdom, and then moving into the New Testament. I mean, now it is centered in one person, it's Jesus, um, but God's creating a new people. Um, so I think just helping people, understanding that ourselves, um, and then tra help regularly just tracing that out for those that we're teaching. Uh, young people, and teach on it specifically. 
uh, about what the church is, what the church does, or you know, teach on it systematically as you go through things. Um, you know, like I mentioned, the basics class earlier that we do here. Uh, there, when I got here, they were doing something similar to it, and there was a, a resource that was from a publisher um, that was helpful. There was a lot good in it, um, th- but it didn't emphasize the church quite as much as I thought w- would have been helpful. And so, anyway, I put some stuff together and. and you know, adapted some things from the the other resource, but we talked a lot more about the church, and so we have a session on what the church is, what the church does, and we talk about spiritual gifts again. They're for the the benefit of the people, and then how we grow in relationship to the church, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I think just just making it that that's one context. Not all the kids in in our ministry uh, go through that, but it's a way of discipling the kids, but also of the parents. And I've had a number of parents tell me, they didn't tell me specifically, but surely that's, I'm hoping some of that stuff clicked about the church, um, how important it is for what it means to be a Christian, that we're connected to it. That's good. So, I mean, what are you thought? What are your thoughts on it? You know, I think that the example I gave of the two Christians going together to a Christian movie or a secular movie in some ways, when we robustly teach, we understand that that is kind of the church, but it's the church invisible. Uh, and I think we need to teach the difference between the invisible and visible church, and that's one way I think that we help people understand it. Being the visible church is the local body of Christians gathered together specifically for things like the ordinances, uh, that, uh, as well as the preaching of the word. Uh, but God has also the invisible church, uh, and the invisible church is Christians all throughout the world. They're really together in Jesus' name, even worshiping God throughout their their lives. So we need both the invisible and we need the visible church. And when we understand the invisible church, we know that there will be people within the visible church that are not real Christians, but just they're kind of pretending to be Christians. Uh, but within the invisible church, it's only those who are truly in Christ. But sometimes we can't see mm-hmm. what's invisible. Um, but yeah, and I think I'd add, I generally can't. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it's hard to sometimes. You have to really uh, that focus for quite well. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, now also, I think yeah, we don't like you talked about with the children's ministry stuff. We don't emphasize the building. But the people in the work, I all four church buildings. Uh, but you know, we can too often focus on oh, that we're on God's house. Let's let's uh, respect God's house. Well, God's house isn't the building. God's house is the people and the work that the people do together. So, right, right. Very good. Now, how can parents uh, prepare their children and youth for the liturgy of their local church? And I'm using a big term, but is that a very Catholic term? You think? Uh, it doesn't have to be. It's just no, the, it the how things are done in the service um, in in the public worship. Um, so even in, uh, very loose loosey-goosey kind of church they have a, a certain liturgy of okay now we're going to sing for 35 minutes and people are going to run around the the place you know um so it doesn't have to be just high church and pomp and circumstance and smoke and stuff and how can parents um, prepare their children for that well i think you tell them um and this was helpful just me thinking about this and, and i mean we maybe take i guess you take a, a more you just said you you approach this a little differently than I have, um, though we do have our kids come in the service. I mean, some even our four year old wants to just be in there sometimes, and um, I know a couple. I don't know. It's been about 
a month ago, I was preaching, and I look over, and I see my daughter, the back of her head. She's just standing there, turned around, like facing the back of the church. Um, she was being quiet. I'm not quite sure what she was doing. Um, but uh, I think tell them uh, what's coming and, and why. And if you don't know, ask. I mean, don't be too proud to ask a pastor. Especially, you know, maybe you're newer to the faith, um, or maybe you just don't know, and you're like, Pastor Joe, you know, why do we do X, Y, or Z? Um, you know, I, or maybe you went to came from another church that did something that you don't do at your current church. Just ask why you do what you do. Maybe it'd be helpful for those in charge of, of ordering and uh, planning the public worship service, thinking about, oh, huh, well, why? You know, it's a good question. Why do we do that? Maybe we don't need to do that, or maybe we need to do more of it. Um, but then also, I'd say, you know, if they're literate, have them write down questions that they've got them. I and even, I think, you know, That's good. whisper to you during it, um, just explain, you know, what's going on. Um, and, uh, and, and and welcome those questions. And I'm like, just be quiet. Here, here's my phone. Just, you know, play game. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> That's good. Um, yeah, I think to add to that, uh, uh, you know, I think a great way to help in this would be to not just teach about it once, uh, but the liturgy, to prepare our children for the liturgy on the way to church or the night before. You know, talk about uh, maybe you're preaching through a book of the Bible to church and read and study that passage together the night before in family worship or just talk about what we might be able to prepare our hearts for in this. Uh, but I think also uh, exemplify it in the home. I think that's another manage of family worship, but I think family worship models what the worship service is in some ways. And so then the worship service becomes relatively normal when, uh, a, when a smaller worship service is happening within the home. Uh, but also, mm. I think, make ordinances and anticipation. You know, uh, none of our kids are were given the Lord's Supper to yet. Uh, and, you know, uh, and there's different choices for different parents. Uh, but when our kids see it, it really, I think, has been a great opportunity to discuss why, you know, why they're not getting it and what the purpose of it is mm -hmm. and why we take that seriously or even in other people's baptisms. Uh, and so make it like even when you don't give your child the Lord's Supper or you don't baptize your child yet, uh, talk it as something that's exciting and something to be looked forward to, not the dull drum, uh, but show the great spiritual reality going forward in it. Uh, yeah, I think also that show the Holy Spirit work of preaching. Again, we our young people don't like preaching. A lot of so-called Christian young people don't like preaching. They don't like authority, and I think some of the reason why mm -hmm. is that we've treated it like a lecture within a worship, a lecture within a church, and that's not at all what it is. It is a unique work of the Holy Spirit uh, that is commanded uh, to be sat under in Scripture. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's different than just somebody giving a talk. Now, does understanding the leadership of the church have any relevancy to young people? I think it does, but particularly as they age, that it will gain more. And that's like with a lot of things. But um, I think you do want them to understand what church leadership, um, what the pastors, the elders, the deacons do, uh, and what the whole church does. Um, but, you know, again, that's it's going to take time. And um, but I think you, you do want to help them to understand um, what those people are there for. And, and how you can pray for them and love them and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's good. And, you know, and I think it's helpful to understand 
uh, that, you know, even for young children, I mean, the pastors are their pastors too. The deacons are their deacons too. It can often be seen as, oh, I mean, these are my parents, you know, types of people. And my spiritual leaders are just the, the junior church teachers or the, you know, uh, children's church teachers. Uh, but no, I mean, the, uh, the elders and the pastors are there for even young children, even youth as well as the deacons. And I think understanding that is helpful to see it as some, that the church is being for them as well in that. Um, what is the New Testament designed for church leadership, Ben? Well, uh, again, that's not something without, that's come without debate. Um, really? It's debated? <laughs> um, you know, yeah. I mean, really, there are two offices. And, and different traditions make a bigger deal of office. Um, but you know, there's pastor, elder, overseer. I mean, understand that those are really the same office. I'm going to be describing different functions of it, but um, and it's does seem to be given the specific role of qualified men, not just all men, but qualified men um, who are able to teach God's word, um, and they watch over people's souls. They equip God's people for service, um, kind of set the spiritual direction for the church. And then deacons, um, which this one, you know, some would limit it to men. I, I, again, this is a debatable matter. I would understand that, you know, in the capacity that they're serving, um, it's it's a thing for men and women to do, and that they're um, leading in service and they're working to bring about unity in the church. Um, but I mean, yeah, that, that those are the the way Scripture, I, I, as I understand it, uh, explains it. You liberal scoundrel and your woman deacons. I, <laughs> I agree with you for the most part. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, by the way, to be clear, I think neither of us would think in a culture of churches where deacons kind of run the church and act as elders that women should be deacons. Uh, that I, we, you would agree with that statement, right? Um, I would. Yeah. If, yeah. if that's regardless of what those people are called, if that's what they're doing. Um, yeah. Then yeah. I, so actually, I my daughter this morning at breakfast asked me. She's like, "Dad, why did uh, why did God make uh, men or you know dads like the the head of the family?" I was like, "Well, that's a really good question." And you know, talked about how God is Father, and so He's made us to to show what He's like. And that, but I said, you know, God also loves women a lot because He He made more women than He made men. Yeah. And then you know, just tried to point her to. Um, ways that Jesus treated women, and he let a woman see him first after his resurrection, and things like that. And you know, and in, I mean, I'm gonna guess that a lot of our listeners probably would agree with us on that. But I mean, that is something that in our culture it's um, being pushed against um, as just a you know a sexist thing from the New Testament era, and so they just sort of went along with it. Um, but I think D.A. Carson, I've heard him say something helpful about that. He said, you know, we can explain about God's design for leadership in the local church um, as much as we want. But at some point, we've got, we don't need to apologize. We need to say God and his wisdom gave us this structure for our good. And um, and so then we go with it and, and, you know, receive the blessing that he's given us. Yeah. Yeah, I think. That's actually, I think, a really important point that I didn't intend to be brought up, but, uh, you know, I think it's a really relevant discussion, even with ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church and how it pertains to women. Because I think when we don't robustly teach 
uh, that understanding of the church it can be and the mentality that, oh, because we only have men pastors or we only have men elders, at least biblically, we shouldn't have that policy. Uh, that means, you know, women are lesser valued, but I don't think that at all is the case. I don't think even anything in that is intrinsic to manliness or womanliness. I think it's an image of, uh, of really in the Trinity, an image also of Christ's relationship with the church rather than a statement about the quality or value of one gender over the other. And I think, you know, when we do talk about things like not having woman pastors or woman elders, I think we need to understand that anything that's a... Um, Anything within a church that is not the duty of an elder or a pastor is something that a woman can and should do. Uh, and we should really recognize that and celebrate women doing any other work than uh, the work of an elder. But, you know, I think further, realistically, a woman can do anything within a church that a man within a church can do that is not an elder, you know. Uh, and I think that... Which really, clarifies. yeah, I mean, that that's quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are more women in churches often than there are men and so and they are doing that work so praise yeah. god for it but yeah i agree with you deacon is this kind of a service role and you know some passages i think help eliminate this in us and that we can use it teach our children and our youth uh acts six two through three kind of lines out when deacons were established and it says so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word the work of elders uh, in order to wait on tables, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you whom are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And so that's, I mean, deacon. And actually the word deacon comes from the Greek dekanios, uh, which literally means servant. Uh, so their act is a servant mm -hmm. act. That's important, but it's an act of service to the congregation and physical acts of service, uh, material service. Uh, but I think biblically, elders are the ones that are responsible for leading, spiritually leading the congregation. First Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work as preaching and teaching. Uh, so I agree with you, elders and pastors, the same term. Sometimes churches use different terminology. As long as we understand the role as being the same, that's good. But further, I think we need to emphasize as well that I think the church is governed by congregation as well on that. Matthew eighteen seventeen says, if they still refuse to listen uh, in cases of church discipline, it says, tell it to the church, the congregation in general, not just elders. And they refuse mm -hmm. to listen to even the church, treat them as a church, as you would a pagan or tax collector. So really, do the elders dominate over the church? No, not quite. Not, you know, <laughs> uh... <laughs> no. though, though there are some, you know the elders would rule i heard one guy i mean he said it humorously but uh he said you know in a, like in a family you don't let the kids make the decisions that's what the parents are there for and he's like so god made the the elders the parents and you know they're watching out um and because you know the kids would run with scissors and this kind of stuff and uh, i mean it's funny but you know that that text right there goes up against uh pushes against that kind of hard uh -huh. so now how can parents teach respect and submission to church leadership in an anti-authoritarian age in some ways i think you need to take a step back from the church context and, and just help kids young people uh see that the parents themselves have to submit to authority 
to governments, bosses, and, and to church leaders. Um, and so just seeing, like, listen, we're all under authority. We were having that conversation this morning at the breakfast table, too. I don't remember how it came up. Oh, it was with the thing about, you know, dads being the head of the family and stuff. But, uh, so, you yeah, know, even the president of the United States, he's got the most, you know, he's the head one in charge in America. He can't just do whatever he wants. Now, we didn't get into executive orders and stuff like that. But still, the Constitution does limit and, uh, you know, can't just he, – he has to get Congress to work with him and things like that. Um, and so just helping them see that that we are under authority and then connecting that um, – you know, and that it's a gift from God, um, and I think too, don't don't speak badly of pastors and church mm-hmm. leaders in front of kids. Don't complain about the sermon and or you know, pastor so and so did this. Um, speak well of them in front of the kids, and um, because they will learn to whether it's a, a young child or that's a teenager, that they will learn to to take on um, the attitude that you take towards authority. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I the only thing I think I'd add to that is one practical thing is you know and I, and I say this uh, <clears throat> knowing it's a little selfish because I like to eat free food, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think parents <laughs> can help their children uh, follow the leadership of uh, their pastors through getting to know their pastors together as a family. Uh, you know, having the pastor and his family in, in the home uh, over for dinner and, you know, and see, that way the children, you see them as real people, not, you know, as just these far-off, you know, uh, smug uh, leaders in that kind of way. Um, I think that is a really helpful way to do it, especially if you make bacon and invite me over. I'm, I'm all on board for that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Have Pastor Tony over for some bacon and uh, some pumpkin pie or something. I am on board, my friend. I am on board. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do we teach children and youth about the role of a pastor and the ministry of the word? I think this is something that almost week to week. Now, now I don't know that you, you do this every week, but it can be – you have the opportunity for it. But that a lot can be done through application. Um as you're teaching through whatever, you can look and think about, oh, okay, how does this apply to um, to that particular aspect about you know um, pastors and the ministry of the word, um, how important the ministry of the word is. Um, <clears throat> I think too, you know, you're you're lifting up the word, and that's that's you know, you're talking about the word for uh, deacon meaning servant um there's places in the new testament where it refers to pastors as deacons of the word um and so they are they are a servant of the word and so just making the bible central teach from the actual bible um you know and, and even use a physical copy uh have it visible just for kids that are pre-literate and they're just seeing oh this comes from that that book we we really talk about that a lot not um, an invisible and, copy like the visible word like the invisible church <laughs> right there you go um and, and i mean make comments regularly too about what the bible is and, and what it does um as you teach it and that you know talking fitting what pastors do in there with it but that um you know the pastors have been given the role of teaching it but all of us are to to be in the word and we need to hear the word um and so just even as you start teaching and i remember this is the holy spirit breathed these things out for us he he gave us exactly what he wanted to be written um and so he gave it to us for encouragement for hope uh endurance you know romans 15 4 i believe it is um but just regularly pointing out to them how central the word is 
that, that's how you know that I've I've tried to to go about it. But yeah, that's good. Well, I mean, what 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 have you? Because you you've ministered, I guess. You know, you're you're a little bit broader than I am. So, um, how do you go about that? Yeah, I think um, the uh, we said the pastoral epistles. This one, I mean, very overt one. And you know what? Maybe that seems obvious, uh, but uh, I think the pastoral epistles are one key way that we ignore it with families. You know, it's not often that we study First Timothy in family worship, right? Uh, or you know that we study it with youth group or children's ministry. Uh, but I think it's really helpful because it really illuminates that kind of thing. Uh, but also, uh, I think another thing, an image that we can use uh, with children and youth that kind of helps them understand the role of the pastor, uh, there's a term, my pastor in Louisville, Ben, uh, different Ben, uh, Ben Laramore, a really great godly man, godly pastor. He would often describe a pastor as a mailman. That, you know, some people he'd say think are the pastor is basically a, um, a wise man, you know, a, uh, a religious guru. Uh, but he said, you know, instead of the job of the pastor to be a mailman, he just gives what he's given. He taught that you would fire a mailman if he threw away the mail that he was given to give you, and instead decided what you deserve, what you think, what he thinks you should hear today. Uh, you should rightfully fire that mailman. You should fire a pastor if he does that same kind of thing. Uh, and I think betray the pastor is that. So to betray the pastor is his job is to maybe it's a little boring to hear these exegetical details in Second Chronicles, but that's his job. His job is to give what God has given us in the Word and to show how it illuminates and relates to our life. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's a good good helpful analogy that even little kids can get. And you know, Ben, how can we magnify with children and youth? The, the less glamorous biblical leadership role. I mean, we've talked some about the role of elders, but uh, and, and it can be seen as kind of a, a sexy, if you will, uh, role the uh, pastor, the glamorous role of being a pastor, a missionary. Uh, but nobody feels that way about a deacon or you know a Sunday school director or a church custodian. How can we magnify those roles that Jesus does magnify? I think you want to draw out some of what they do and even tell stories um, if you know some about how someone has benefited the church and um, you know highlight that for them. Um, send them a card or a gift as a family or if it's a you know Sunday school class or something like that. Um, and pray for them by name. I know uh, something that our Wednesday night program um, – that it implements is getting to know different people in the church, whether they're in an official role or they're just a member of the church. Um, and it comes from when we interviewed her, uh, Connie Dever, with uh, yes. the Praise Factory curriculum, and they have something on like a very important prayer person. And so it's kind of a fun, it's a game. And so I've given out these these sheets where the people fill out stuff that would be of interest to kids, like their favorite food and their favorite animal and hair and eye color and stuff like this. But then it also asks them what do you do during the week and how do you serve the church? How can we pray for you? And you're supposed to list several things. And so the kids try to play a game to figure out who the person is. And then they pray for them. And so it's a, cool. it's a neat way for the kids to get exposed to whether it's the it sits at the front desk, uh, answers the phone, or it's you know someone who, like you said, it's um, someone doing the, the less glamorous custodial work or um, you know whatever it, the case may be, and just highlighting that as a as a person um, that we can love and that we can take to God's throne of grace. And so I, I really love that. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I, I do, the only thing I'll add to that is I think we need to teach whether children and youth, the biblical principle that the last will be first and the first will be last. And that, you know, it could be the case in heaven that some of the more important, more honored figures in heaven be faithful deacons that were happy to take care of uh, that some poopy diaper trash <laughs> then he glorifies uh, <laughs> and lifts up pastors that uh, have no interest in doing that kind of <laughs> deeds. <laughs> and I think that principle of how God's upside down kingdom work, I think helps us understand that and helps us see the value that, you know, it's not just the deacons do the work so the elders don't have to, although in some sense that is true, uh, but they do what is vital and clearly important that the church can function without, just like an elder does. Now, how can church, uh, church's youth and children's ministry explain ecclesiology in general? Um, well, first off, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't use that word, <laughs> at least for, for kids, probably. Um, but I think you do teach them about it. And again, you, I think you teach on it specifically. Um, again, application plays in as well. Um, probably a lot of churches are going to be using some form of, of curriculum, but not all. Some, you know, they go week to week or they make their own stuff as they go. Um, I mean, I would encourage folks not to just haphazardly get whatever offline, you know, and it's really there's no tie together from one week to the next. Um, that's where helpful a curriculum can be helpful, and and there are free curricula out there, um, and so that that can help you do that. But um, if you're able, get a curriculum that does address it in um, through the course of the teaching. And so, um, and you can see that, especially in the New Testament, um, you know, the, the applications and things like that are not just individual. I mean, you know, the, the, there's a number of letters written to churches. Um, and so the, the, just the New Testament does make a big deal about it. So we have to ask, why shouldn't we uh, do the same? And so you you just make it a point. This is something that, that we need to discuss. If, if the New Testament um, talks so much about it, and Jesus loved his church and laid his life down for it, then um, we need to help our, our young people who are coming up, and they are becoming part of the church as well, um, to, to know what it is to, to be the church and how to do that faithfully. Um, so I guess, yeah, I, I didn't give you awesome specifics there, but I don't know. What, how, what do you think? So my perspective on how we can teach as ecclesiology, I agree, we don't use that term at all. Uh, it would not be wise to uh, say a, a start off a class called Ecclesiology 101 uh, with your preschoolers. Uh, but I think a class <laughs> along the lines of Ecclesiology 101, what is the Church 101 or something like that, might be legitimately a helpful study in children and youth ministry. Uh, you know, going through youth, what is the church? One thing we're going to do in the winter is we're going to study systematic theology together. Kind of like going through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology uh, with the youth group. And we're going to have a week just dedicated to understand what the church is. Uh, but also, one very relevant resource, uh, Sojourn Community Church has produced a little book uh, called What is the Church? Uh, for children, and I think that's a really helpful resource. Uh, they've kind of got a company book that my home, our home is the little church or something like that. Uh, but the book that I think would help to teach young children a biblical ecclesiology is called "What Is the Church?" and again, that's made by Sojourn Community Church. 
those those are helpful ideas. Buy it. So. <laughs> now, what can parents and next generation volunteers do to raise up healthy future church leaders? Well, I, first of all, pray for God to do the work. Um, but then act in that faith as you go, because that's what prayer is. I mean, it's, it's faith in God, or it should be. It's saying, we're weak and you're strong, and so, Lord, please do this. But then it's putting feet to that, like, Lord, work through these actions. Um, and so I think just talking about the possibility that God would enable some of the kids, the the young people that you're serving, um, or your own children, that he would enable – might enable them to serve his people that way in the future. Um, and so it lays the groundwork to help them even aspire to that kind of work, um, whether it's vocational or not. Um and you know we we tend to glamorize certain professions in our society, and, and even you know Christians, whether it's a doctor or an athlete or singer, this kind of thing. Um, but prioritize that work of of serving God's people and showing that that is a, a worthy thing to set your sights on. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to you know at the time of the Reformation, they were kind of chipping away at the notion of like this this two tier caste. You know, you get the holy people and then the rest of us. Um, you don't want to get that impression, but at the same time, you do want to um, show that, that that is an honorable thing. And, um, yeah, I, that that's that's all I got. That's good. Yeah, we go into a whole lot of uh, things on the Reformation principles of the separation of the church and vestibules and all this kind of stuff. But we won't do that. Uh, the narthex. Exactly. Yes. Um so, you know, there was a, a, a pastor of a large church uh, that a couple of years ago wrote a book uh, called something called Unqualified around that, uh, something like that. And he would talk about how somebody called him famously unqualified to be a pastor. And he said, you know, and his point of this book was ultimately none of us really are qualified, but God uses the unqualified uh, based upon basically saying, you know, no, I don't match up with the uh, with the list of attributes of a character of a pastor in First Timothy, and nobody really does. And I, I listened to some studies on that, uh, some responses of that, and Carl Truman is a uh, theologian and a professor and pastor as well, and he, and he actually responded to that by saying, the qualifications for pastors are not like exemplary things that are like impossible to achieve. Instead, they're like basic levels of maturity in Christianity, for the most part. They're things that we can all aspire to. And all if we're faithful, by God's grace, we can achieve some of that. And so I think how mm -hmm. that connects to raising up the next generations as see these moral standards in First Timothy, Titus, Second Timothy, Ephesians that are given for an elder as being the bar, as what we want to see in our children in the next generation period, that this isn't just something for the elders, the pastors, but these are the kind of morality that we want to see in general. And then we can talk, if you're living out in that kind of way, we can talk about church leadership, rather than saying, oh, you're called at uh, seven years old to be a pastor, and you know, we're not going to ever question that, even if you're not nowhere near as godly as some of the other youth. Um, when you're a teenager. <laughs> but I think mm -hmm. also, and this goes back to our uh, podcast when we talked about studying the text and teaching the meaning of the text. 
I think one of the only, the main real attribute that's different between qualification that's different between an elder and a deacon is that it says an elder has to rightly handle the word of truth, uh, has to be competent to teach the Bible, has to be a student of Scripture that can teach us meaning from from context and from the context of the whole Bible as well. And I think we need to teach our children and our youth to be the kind of people that can do that, regardless of whether or not they become pastors. But then if they do become pastors, if they do become missionaries, they're so very equipped for this important work, rather than thrown into it without having the right qualifications. I, I like that. That's, that's really good. Anyway, so, well... I we hope uh, you listeners, uh, you know this was posted a couple of days before Christmas, uh, and I'm sure you guys are busy in the Christmas spirit uh, and uh, getting everything wrapped finally for Christmas gifts. Uh, and we hope that you guys are encouraged this time, and perhaps uh, this lifts up your spirit as you're frustrated with getting that that uh, last piece of tape on the wrapping paper. I'm so terrible at that work. And uh, maybe it can <laughs> uplift your spirits and help you think of uh, the church, God's true people that sometimes are far more messy than wrapping paper can be, but God uses anyway. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.